Uh, I'm going to recommend a teaching. Uh, well, it's the teaching from the 8.30 service this morning. That guy was really good. No, I'm teasing. No, I did it. Um, but and he's, I, thought he, I thought he was going to let me expound on that some more during this service, but during the time I went to get Sue, uh, everything completely changed. So I'm not going to get to teach on that again, at least not right now. But I'm telling you, it is an essential part. There's some nuggets in there that I didn't know until recently. Uh, the title that we put on it was, hang on, How Jesus Brought the Father's Kingdom to Earth. How Jesus Brought the Father's Kingdom to Earth. And it, it will bless you. And it's part of, I think it's necessary. It's one of those stones in the wall of Revelation that we're going to need to hold the roof. So, hallelujah. But uh, you are the fortunate ones that came to hear about fasting. (laughs) Partly. Yes, sir. Now, he put this together so quick, I'm going to have to follow follow very closely. And uh, I'm I'm not afraid anymore. I trust him to lead me through the wilderness. In fact, uh, Hans did a, I think, a couple of messages on that. I think one of them was titled, uh, Following God Through the Wilderness. And uh, it started off with a question, is there a path in the wilderness? Well, is there a path to revival? He gave us a blueprint. He gave us a path to follow. And it's very precise with detailed instructions. And now, going into 2022, he is even fine-tuning, I think, even more uh, those instructions. So he has given us a path. Now, that is the collective path for the whole, for not only us, but people around the world that have connected up with this vision. So not it's not only here uh, at Mockley, Florida, Dayton, Ohio. But we have many people around the world. It's Ireland and Australia and Brazil and Africa and Germany. And I could go on and on and on. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. There is a path collectively, and that's that's the prophecies primarily that's been coming. But there's also your individual part in that. He'll have specific instructions tailored just for you. And I've talked about... Going way back in the beginning, some of the things in my own personal life, just, you know, you, I mean, I can't tell your testimony. You lived yours, but you have to, each of us has to tell our own testimony. But like one of the first personal instructions that I got was to lose 40 pounds. And I, like everybody, I think I argued with the Lord some on that, um, gave him all the reasons why I couldn't. And then when I finally showed up, he gave me instructions on how I could. But it's always our choice now, isn't it? It's your choice. And so that's why these recent lessons on obedience have been coming forth. Yes, sir, I will do that. See, it's really embarrassing for me uh, to tell you. I did did the 40-pound thing, thank God. The second, not the second thing, one of the early things he told me was to go full-time in the ministry. I didn't obey him. I just flat didn't do it. I was scared. We had. I said, are you aware? What do you mean full-time in the ministry? You are aware. Nobody's asking us to preach anywhere. <laughs> I have, what ministry, you know? And, of course, we had bills at that time. We had a car payment, and we had insurance payments. And like I like to tease, you know, 
Like my wife has an eating habit. She likes to eat every day. Sometimes more than once she wants to eat. Like, like I don't, you know. It's just a joke. And we had ex- other expenses, and, and he wasn't providing me any answers to any of these questions. You know, God is our company car. <laughs> anyway, I didn't really ask all that, but in my heart I might as well have, because that's what kept me from doing it's fear. I didn't know him well enough. So, di- disobey. Well, I'm going to say it again. Safety for a sheep is to stay up real close right behind the shepherd where he's going. Because he's got the rod and the staff. Now, the staff has got that crook on the end of it. And that's if you start straying too far. If you'll allow him, he'll, he'll put that hook around your neck gently and keep you on the path. But the rod, what's that for? Well, that's for the wolf, the lion, and the bear. <laughs> and uh, But to see, if the sheep just persists, he won't violate your will. And if that sheep gets far enough away from the shepherd, eventually you get out where the enemy is, where the wolf is. And I think that's what happened to me because about eight months after he told me to go full time and I was just still rebelling, I got a hit with a heart attack that nearly took me off the planet. And I mean, he come close. I don't know how I, I just know I had like one foot in the world and one foot in the gone out of this world. And I, you know, I've often wondered since, I thank God that I did obey him on losing the 40 pounds. Because I'm not sure I would have survived it. I don't know if my heart would have made it through that if it was still carrying that extra 40 pounds of blubber. So in his mercy, I told Sue, they put me in a hospital in Ozark, Arkansas. And she came, of course, immediately. and, And it happened to be our wedding anniversary. Here I am in the hospital on our wedding anniversary. And I had never told her. I had never told her that God had told me to go full time. Why didn't you tell her? Because she told me to do it. <laughs> Someday I'm going to be out there and you're going to get up here and tell your embarrassing stuff, okay? That's okay. I don't, if it helps us, it's good. So I just told her. I, told, I, I confessed up, told her everything. And I said, you know, I think it's going to be in my best interest to obey God. I think the devil's going to kill me out here. If I don't, and I told her my fear. I said, baby, I'm, I'm afraid. I said, you know, we have no income. I keep having these dreams, these like nightmares of us living under a bridge and wearing gunny sacks. So what if I fail? What if I, what if I didn't hear God, you know? Now, I've got a wife. She said, well... If we wind up living under a bridge and we're in gunny sex, I am with you. And I want you to obey God. I have, you can't have her, she's mine. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. So here we went. You've heard many of those stories, but I'm talking about obedience. See, this is our path through the wilderness. I can't talk really about yours. Then we started getting instructions on things to do. The first thing he had us do was start a little Bible study. I'm not going to spend the whole hour on this now. But you've got to see how his leadership and obedience is important. And so he started giving us instructions. Of course, I'm still, I'm very, this is, I did not know him really as father and provider. I really didn't. If you'd asked me, I'd have told you that I did. 
But I didn't because I, I was always thinking, where's the money coming from? So he, one of the instructions he gave us at our little Bible study, start making, recording them on cassette tape. My first thought, that's where the money's going to come from. We're going to sell these cassette tapes just like everybody else and we're going to make the money. Well, next time I'm in prayer, this isn't why you fall out of prayer. You don't like hearing, you don't want to hear what he's saying. Because the very next time I'm in prayer, he says, no, don't, don't, don't. In fact, he says, don't, not only are you not going to sell any tapes, you are never, ever going to sell anything that I give you for the gospel. And I never have. We never have. Now, did he say that to you? See, I tell people all the time, don't, don't do that because that's what he told me. And I, the only part that you should imitate is the prayer part. The waiting on God part, the getting quiet part, and hear what he's saying to you. I think it's fine to, you know, to cover expenses and whatever. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that, but I just know what he told us. Well, that was the first thing. Don't sell anything. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip. We've, we have done really well on that. We, to my knowledge, we have never yet ever sold anything that he's given us. Everything has been free. It's still free today. I just got a testimony, a, a guy gave a, for us, a several, I mean, a very large offering, several hundred dollars just this past week, and uh, then I had occasion I needed to talk, he lives in another state, and I got to talk with him, and in the course of the conversation, he, I thanked him, I said, my goodness, Angie told me how much you sent, you know, thank you, I said, that's, for us, that's huge, he says, I'm still just doing my part, because I told the Lord when you kept sending me all those tapes for free when I couldn't afford one of them. If you ever blessed me, I was going to bless you back. See? Just obey the Lord. Just do what He tells you. So we were obedient on that. Okay, fast forwarding. Because then came the face-to-face instructions. Many of the, most of those things we have obeyed, I'm going to say most. Now, when I say we, I'm really, um, Sue can t- give her own testimonies. <laughs> One of the things he told me, I'm going to pick it up here and then, then we can launch into what he's given me for today, really. But this is good background. There is a path in the wilderness. Are you going to follow it if, without obedience? If he says go here, you go here. If he says turn left, you go left. But see, in the face-to-face things, and you can read this, it's in the scourging post, I believe. Might be overcomers in this age. <clears throat> he gave me real plain instructions about what he wanted, oh, about fasting. Now, previously, he had given me instructions about the prayer plan. Yes, okay, so that, I did that one. I, I made three different prayer plans, and I, print, I, print, I could print one for you today. Tim has seen all three of them. Uh, he gave me instructions on losing the weight. I could print that out for you. It doesn't work nearly as well in my 70s as it did in my 40s. (laughs) But in my 40s, I lost 40 pounds in six months. So I could print those. Why? Because I obeyed him. I listened. I wrote it down and I obeyed him. Well, then he gave me some fasting instructions. And he told me, basically, he wanted me not to leave my fasting to chance. To make a schedule always two months out in front of me. So that I would know what the, and you know, he told me, block out for things, holidays, and so I, I always circle birthdays, you know, uh, 4th of July. I know there's going to be hot dogs, and my mother would say red popsicles on 4th of July. 
and but you block out those t- conference. When there's no fasting during conference, you do your fasting before the conference because people need fellowship. Okay, they're they're starving for it when they come. And uh, but then once you do that, now we're down to it. And are you going to schedule those fasting days or are you not? So in that last message that I preached about obedience, I said I could bring you the printed instructions on the losing weight. I could bring you the printed instruct the printed prayer plan, but I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to bring you the calendar, the fasting schedule. Why? Because I didn't do it. Now here comes the question, Gary. Why didn't you do it? Because it was not my will. It was His will, but it was not my will. I thank God we live in a different covenant than what Samuel, excuse me, King Saul lived under. How many knows we live in a better covenant established on better promises? See, because it cost when King Saul only partially obeyed the Lord, it cost him his kingship. When we disobey the Lord. Now, it can cost you your anointing for a season, but you cannot break the covenant. We cannot break the covenant. This is so vitally important, and it's not the subject for today. Alan has taught on it. I've taught on it. Dave has taught on it. This covenant is between the Father and the Son. That's the covenant. You can't break it. Now, you can be in Christ if you're in Christ Then are you Abraham's seed and an heir to the promise. So you can be in the covenant. Let's say it this way. In Christ. And if you are in good standing, all the blessings are yours. Now you can be disobedient and not lose your salvation. Okay. Well, if everybody's disobedient, if everybody loses their salvation for telling a or or not giving, or not forgiving, or, or I could go well forgiving. You got to really watch that one. <laughs> okay, but what I'm saying is, you can't. You yourself cannot break the covenant between the Father and the Son. What's important is you stay again. You scooch up right close to the Shepherd. You stay really close in obedience to the Son, and as long as you do that, you're heirs to the promise. Okay. Now, okay. Yes, sir. I still haven't said it. You remember our last week's message where King Saul partially obeyed the Lord. His instructions were to go in to the Amalekites and utterly destroy them all. Everything really that breathes, the the men, the women, the children, even the sucklings, and the animals. I mean, utter, anything, if it breathes, kill it. Well, he didn't do that. They brought back King Agag alive. And they did destroy all of the refuse animals, but the really good ones, they brought them back. See, and we would call that, part. I would call that partial obedience. God did not call it that. God said, it repenteth me that I ever made Saul the king. Now look how the Lord put it. For he has turned back from following me and has refused 
to obey my commandment. Now Saul, like Gary probably would, would raise his hand and say, Hey, you do know we went to war against Amalek. I mean, we fought them for how many days? We fought them from, it tells you, we fought them from this city all the way to that city. It was tough. It was war. It was the clanging of swords and, and sweat and, and pain. And there was blood in the sand. You do know we did all that. Don't I get any attaboys for that? See, that's the way I've always looked at it. And God says, Saul has turned back from following me. And he has refused to obey my commandments. Well, that's exactly... So this is what I, this is what I meant while I go and I said I still haven't said it. When I refused to make that fasting schedule... Now, it didn't take me out of Christ. It's not going to send me to hell. But in heaven, God would look. God does not change. Okay? We change. The covenant changed. But God does not change. When I refused, just flat, didn't do it for years, God would look at me and say, Well, Gary has turned back now from following me. He's not following the path I gave him. He has turned back from following me. And he, is, he has refused to obey, to obey my instructions. See, right now I'm hearing the verse, if you let, Jesus says in John 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many knows, how many are thankful that God's mercies are new every morning? How many, we have 1 John 1, 9, where the blood is still on the mercy seat. How many knows we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we find two things there, not just one. The first thing you find at, at that throne is that you may obtain mercy. See, mercy is when you blew it. <laughs> you don't need mercy unless you blew it somehow, right? First thing you get is mercy. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for the blood that's on that seat still. That even no matter how bad I miss it, I, I can come confess my sin and He will not only forgive me, He will restore me back to righteousness as though I had never sinned. He cast it in the sea of forgetfulness and it's gone. Glory to God. Well, thank God for that. And eventually I did obey Him and I, I didn't bring it today, but I showed you that day. I, I keep a planner now, it's, you know. It's just a, it's simple, just a calendar, just a blank calendar. And I keep that thing, I make sure I keep it two months in advance. Now see, it's one thing to make the calendar, it's another thing to do the calendar. <laughs> but I did, I've, I've been doing better, I've been doing better than I've ever done in my life. And I'm going to be doing better and better next time you see me. Because there is a path in the wilderness for us all, and there's a path individually. Now... We are at, if you can't tell, not only in America, but worldwide, and really with the church, it is Mount Carmel time. It's show, it's show up, put up, or shut up. Do you remember who the contest was? When Elijah went up there, he said, if Baal, B-A-A-L, if I'm not pronouncing that right, you scholars, forgive me. But if Baal be God, serve him. 
But if our Lord, it means Jehovah, but if, if the Lord be God, serve Him. Choose this day. I want you to understand the contest was between God, the living God, and Baal. Well, America is in a very similar thing right now. Ba- the spirit of Baal, he has given me so much. I have, pay- I have so much on the spirit of Baal. I don't know when he'll release me to ever teach it. But I'm just telling you right now, that is the spirit that's trying to take over America. It's, it's, well, it's been in America for a long time, but now it's really coming in for the kill. At least it's trying to. Now, <clears throat> Baal manifests itself in many ways. Why did the people in the Old Testament, why, did, why that showdown? Why had, the, why had it gotten to the place where the people were serving Baal like that in the first place? Well, to them... Baal had, yes sir, and it goes all the way back to Solomon marrying all those heathen wives and building temples to their gods. He started the ball rolling and all of these people, then the people started intermarrying with uh, women of other religions and they started over, He God warned them, He's, it's not a race thing, it's not a like, you know, one color against another color, it was a, a God thing. He says, because if you do that, if you marry them, they're going to turn your hearts to follow their gods. And that's exactly what happened. One lady told me one time in South Africa, lover to pieces, you were talking about the head being, uh, I think the husband was talking about him being the head of the house. The Bible does say that, right? Christ is the head of the man, the man is the head of the wife, so forth. He said, ah, the man is the head of the house. And she said, yes, but the wife is the neck. And the neck turns the head wherever it needs to go. <laughs> I never have forgot that. There's some wisdom there. <laughs> but see, it had gotten to the point because they had intermarried and their wives had turned their hearts after these other gods. Now, what's so appealing about these other gods? Well, supposedly, if they're real, they can bless you, but you don't have to keep the law. I mean, in fact, if you're going to worship Baal when it got to be its worst, you go to, okay, we got children. Uh, you go to church and have pros- promiscuous relations during the service, and the flesh goes, I'm in. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If you don't, write in, we'll try and answer that. <laughs> and the flesh goes, what? See, and Baal was supposed to bless your, you know why they offered their children to, to the god Molech? They wanted better harvest. They wanted the rains to come. They wanted good crops. And if, I mean, it got so bad that they literally began, first they started building temples. One of them, the temple to Molech that Solomon built, was directly across the way on another hill facing the temple. It's like in your face, God. And they would sacrifice babies. On the, I don't know how far away it was. I've never been there. But it's like in your face. Then they actually started bringing in idols to Baal and other gods in the temple. In the temple of God. Dear Lord, you talk about And it went on for decades and decades. And then you'd have a, a good king come. And he'd, nope, get all this stuff out of here. And they'd, they'd, they'd clean the house pretty well. 
But then you'd have a bad king come. And the people would just, like sheep, they'd just follow right in. And it got so bad there were, they'd lit, can you imagine bringing idols into the literal physical temple of God? Worshipping Baal? Literally, I could show you several verses where they literally brought in an idol to Baal. Here's God behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. And just a few feet away, there's an idol there to Baal. And they're worshiping. And so we shake our heads and go, how terrible. How terrible is that? But our Bible says, no, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'll just tell you right now, pornography is an idol in the temple of God. Greed is an idol in the temple of God. There's so many things. Um, What about offering our children to Molech in this country? 60 to 70 million since Roe v. Wade was passed. 60 to 70. 60 to 70 million innocent lives. God, God's watching while we shed innocent blood like that. I'm telling you, this nation has served Baal long enough. And we're coming to a showdown. In fact, I believe we're there right at it now. If Baal be God, serve him. But if the Lord be God, Serve him. Now, Sue and I and Angie recently were all fighting COVID at the same time. And um, different people have different symptoms with COVID. Sue and I had what many people call COVID brain. Uh, It's a fog. You just can't hardly think. You can't remember recipes. You can't. I couldn't. I'd, I'd sit there in front of my computer for so long. I couldn't answer an email. You just, you just can't hardly think in the natural. I had fever for 14 straight days, you know. Now, other people don't even have fever with it. I never had the deep cough like a lot of people have. It wasn't mine. But now the point is this. Here I am. But I'm, I'm, that whole time, I'm going, God, I'm supposed to have dominion over this. Do you know I teach on authority, God? <laughs> the authority of the believer? And we'd, we'd, Sue and I, we'd can, what we could, we were so tired. You're just sick. You really, we felt miserable. But we'd still, we'd speak to it and we'd command it. One night, my fever was 103 and rising. And Sue started rebuking everything in the house, up and down the street. <laughs> she's <laughs> commanding, what I mean, you know, she's commanding everything. Get out, go. And sure enough, my fever stopped and rising and it started going down. But with all of our best efforts and all of our knowledge and everything that we know, we weren't able to run it off from our bodies, which gives you a clue why we can't run it off from somebody else. So last week's message was really important about authority, what authority really is. All of these are so important. If you, I, I really recommend you don't miss what's going on right now. And all of us are doing, I'm, I'm, I've, I've told Bronk and I tell Jim, Martin, and I tell Alan and Hans and uh, Tim, if you hear anything that sounds a degree off, If you're my friend, you better tell me. And I want to do the same with you.
Because right now we're all each other's pastors until Dave 2.0 returns. Because <laughs> he's our, our pastor. So we're really got, we're really trying to be careful. Well, we've been really careful not to get one degree off because we're just not going to let that happen. Now I said all that to say this. I didn't get any total answers. God, what's going on? Why can't I run this thing off? Now I'm just going to share a few things with you. Part of it was the authority thing being sold out that I talked about last week. But I did hear some things. See, the good thing about it, you do know you have a spiritual brain. You have a spiritual mind inside your physical brain. My, sp- my spiritual mind did not have COVID. <laughs> my spiritual man is fine. I could communicate with God. I did lots of praying in tongues. You can't do much else anyway. You just sit there and pray in tongues. And I heard a few things. And one of them was about removing idols. From the temple of God. So we'll start with this one. And and this is called. It's very short. Pain. From God's point of view. Pain. Is an idol. In the temple of God. I'm going to say it again. Pain. Now I'm not saying it's not real. Y'all know how, you've seen how I walk. Why do you walk that way? Because if it hurts, the pain is intense if I don't. I'm not saying it's not real, but from God's point of view, pain is an idol in the temple of God. Then he said to me, idols in the temple, if they're allowed to stay, eventually lead to the destruction of the temple. And if you think about 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. First, there were idols in the temple. Sometimes a good king would come and clean them out, but every time a bad king would come, they'd come back. And if the idols remain long enough, first comes the idols, then comes Nebuchadnezzar. Allowing idols in the temple will eventually lead to the destruction of the temple. Then I saw like a little, I don't know how to, this communication anyway came from the Lord. It wasn't exactly a vision. But it says if Jesus was literally sitting on the throne within my body. Now we don't have a little Jesus running around on the inside of us, but he's trying to teach me something. But if Jesus was literally sitting on the throne within my body, how would he look at that pain? You remember him behind the curtain actually looking at Baal? A statue, an idol of Baal? He could see it, couldn't he? Well, if he was sitting there literally on the throne within my body while I was sick, how would he look at pain in my body? Would he see it any differently? Than when they brought in idols of Baal. And he might ask the question. Why are you allowing pain in this temple? I have paid the price for you to be free of pain. Now you're talking with a guy that's lived with pain for a long time. 
I'm not. I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. But if he was there, I, really, I think Jesus, just like, did he give them attaboys when they did everything in the natural they knew to do when the ship was sinking in the storm? After he rebuked the storm, did he say, hey, did he give them all pats on the back and say, you did really good? I'm glad you tried so hard. Did he? Did he? He said, how come you have no faith? It wasn't even little faith to that. How come, how, how is it that you have no faith? So he can talk like that, can he? I think he would say this, this is what came to me. Why are you allowing pain or let's say COVID, anything like that? Why are you allowing that in the temple? I have paid the price for you to be free of that. Remove this idol of pain immediately in my name. Then I get that, that caused me to remember from the Old Testament. You know, he had me going through first and second kings, first and second chronicles, and all the prophets associated with that time period. So then he said this to me, and this is called removing idols from the temple. Removing idols from the temple. Now, right now I'm talking about pain, I'm talking about COVID and other things. But there's a lot of idols in God's temple in this nation. We'll get to that in a minute. So I wrote this, during the time of the rebellion of Judah, while they were bringing idols into the very temple of God and worshiping them there. Now get this, I went back and double checked to make sure. Not one time did God himself remove one of those idols. He would. He didn't do it. You say, oh, I remember, no, he was in Dagon, remember Dagon? See, you may all remember they put him up next to Dagon? Which is like a fish god. I don't know if you've ever seen a statue of him. Well, they put him in there. But see, you got to remember, that wasn't the temple of God. That was a pagan temple. Remember that? It's a little different rules there. <laughs> so if you remember the story, the first day when they went back in there, Dagon was on his face. Second day, so they, they put him back up. The second day, he's on his face again. They put him back up. Third day... If I remember right, he's on his face, except his head broke off. <laughs> but see, in the temple of God, if you go back to the temple in Jerusalem, the temple in Judah, God, he never, all right, I'm sending the statue of Baal. It, it just comes up in the air and starts floating out. Through. <laughs> God never did that. God will not violate your free will. You can literally be born again and have temples in it. You can literally be born again and have idols in the temple. And it's up to you whether you're going to remove them or not. Now that could be anything from sin. all kind, Like pornography is an easy one. That's an easy one to, to know that's an idol in the temple. But it could be greed. could be unforgiveness. could be jealousy. could be... Just, you, I'm going to live my own life and I don't care what God wants type of attitude. You can have all kinds of idols in there. But he reminded me the people had to remove the idols. Because he had empowered them to do it. Just like he's empowered us. Now, getting back to Baal. Not only, I've been talking about us individually. 
But I want to talk about collectively right now with our nation and really the world. We are coming to a showdown. We are really at the showdown now. Just like we're at a Mount Carmel moment. Again, it's going to be show up, put up, or shut up. The church is going to rise up and demonstrate the power of the living God, or Baal is going to take over the world. It's just that, I mean, that, and it, he fully in the spirit, which is just, it's just a demon. You know, there's some levels of hierarchy there, but the Baal had many forms and many names in the Old Testament. I've been studying him for over a year, and uh, one day the Lord will release me to really teach on it. But now today we're going to talk about fastings to a certain point. Because in our path through the wilderness, and what I mean by that, in the blueprint, not only does he mention, spend, come away with me, spend time with me, worship, praying in tongues a lot, the word, he mentions many times in that blueprint about fasting. Doesn't he? Well, we're either going to do that or we're not going to do that. But it's still confronting Baal. Now again, why did the people always want to follow Baal? Well, your flesh likes it. The idea is I can have the blessings without having to be rough on my flesh. Okay. Now, I'm going to read you directly from an article. Uh, this is from BibleArchaeology.org. And we will put the uh, link to this article at the website. Because I didn't write it. I wish I had. And uh, go ahead and open up to Exodus 14.1. Now, definitely, this is part of the path through the wilderness. Exodus 14.1. And we're going to back up to verse 20 in chapter 13. And they took their journey. Okay, and forgive me again for my Oklahoma pronunciation of these names. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. God, I love this verse. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way. Is there a path? It sure is. How do I find it? They had to follow the cloud. We have to follow the Holy Ghost. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He is with you 24 hours a day. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. His leadership is always available to you. Verse 22. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So they're, they're following, they're going along, following the cloud by day and the fire by night. But all of a sudden, in verse chapter 14, verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. That they turn, and that word really means turn back. Turn back. Go a different direction than the way you've been going. That they turn back and encamp, oh gosh, before Pihaharoth, between Migdal and the sea. Now this is important. Over against, notice this, Baal-Zephon. And before it shall you encamp by the sea. Now from here, 
I'm just going to read directly a couple of pages to you. This is just perfect. He says, I want to call the reader to the Exodus text, chapters 13 and 14. We find the Israelites being led by God out of Egypt, by the desert road toward the Red Sea and armed for battle. God's leading is miraculous. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to to give them light. It is significant that the writer informs us that the pillar of cloud and fire never left its place in front of the people. Glory. Why is this significant? Because God is about to do something apparently strange and unexpected. God wants us to know that he led them every step of the way to this point. And now he stops the Israelites and tells them to turn back. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near, there's that place again, Pi-ha-hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. God shows us that the confrontation with the Egyptians at Baal-Zephon is not by accident or coincidence. He shows us that he intentionally turns the Israelites around and leads them to a place that he has chosen for this great spiritual conflict with the Egyptians. Even though the Israelites had left Egypt armed for battle, that's in Exodus thirteen eighteen, they were told, you only need to be still because the Lord will fight for you. And that's chapter 14, verse 14. Unless we think the impending battle is just a physical battle between armies with swords, armor, and chariots, let us remember that our God had been triumph- triumphing over not only the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but also the supposed power of their gods. The plagues were a drumbeat of victory, as the gods of Egypt were, one by one, displayed to be impotent and powerless. And even more importantly, Yahweh wanted the Egyptians to know that He is the Lord. And that's Exodus 14.4. Now, don't, I'm, I'm, okay, Gary's talking now for a moment. I've done this study before. There were ten major gods of Egypt. Each, every one of those plagues went right after one of those gods to show that God was the one in power and not, not their gods. But there's one left, and it's this Baal Zephon. Now, this, this is the place where it looks like they're, t- I'm still, t- Gary's still talking. This looks like the, this place looks like, the, okay, you may have, you may have gotten out of Egypt, but he led, God led you to a place where now you're going to be destroyed because they're up against the Red Sea, this particular spot. There's mountains to the left, mountains to the right. They can't go left or right. They, the sea is in front of them. And here comes the Egyptian army. At that time, the most powerful army on the face of the earth. Against these slaves. <laughs> it looks like certain destruction. And the pla- you, that's really important that God wants this battle to be where it is. He told, did he not tell them to go hit to this place? Now here's why. Back, I'm reading the article again. The study of the history and background of Baal Zephon is utterly, utterly fascinating. 
The worship of Baal was known throughout the Fertile Crescent and the Levant and down into Egypt. Upon this mountain, and it's the mountain that's named Baal Zephon, it was believed that Zephon reigned in power and was lord over the sea. Here, Pharaoh may have sensed that the idol Zephon was going to display his power over the Israelites. God tells us some of Pharaoh's reasoning. And he's paraphrasing here. Pharaoh will think, ah, the Israelites are wandering. They're just wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. But God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Indeed, Pharaoh did. And I believe that Pharaoh considered that Zephon would finally rout the Israels. Excuse me. I believe that Pharaoh considered that Zephon would finally rout the Israelites and that Yahweh would be shown to be inferior in power. Did Pharaoh still think that he, that he and his Egyptian gods had power to subdue the God of Israel? Unaided by a still more powerful deity? In other words, he's counting on Zephon like his last hope. It is no surprise that the Lord stopped Israel, turned them around to meet and defeat not only Pharaoh and his army, but also to display his power over Zephon and defeat him at the mountain of his glory and power. Not only this, but Yahweh would lead his people directly through the sea. The sea which the Egyptians believed were under the control of Baal-Zephon. And further, that instead of the Israelites being destroyed, showing Zephon's lordship over the sea, it would be the Egyptians who would discover who was both lord of the mountains, but also lord of the sea. There were many ways that God could have chosen to eliminate the Egyptian army. But it was no accident that he chose to bring this conflict into the sharpest spiritual focus and to a climax of incredible proportions. In the end, we are left awestruck at the wisdom and the power of our God. We can see clearly that God was showing his people in the most amazing and startling ways. Not only that he was Lord over all those other gods and over nature, but was teaching his people Israel what happens to those who worship false gods. And lest we forget his love for the Egyptians, we must remember his words that ultimately, he said in verse 4, the end result was so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He wanted Egypt saved. He wanted them to turn from their false gods and worship Yahweh. Can we, can we not also conclude that in the end, God showed His grace to the Egyptians who were in the bondage of following gods who were empty, without power, and unable to save them? The Lord said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God's glory is at stake in all these things. May we praise and glorify our great God that delivers his people and triumphs over all of our enemies. Is that greater or what? God says, 
Where is, where is the mountain of their strength? Where is the place that they would think I would not dare show up because their God is so powerful? Oh, it's Baal Zephon? Turn around, people. We're going to Baal Zephon. God, I love that. Love that. Now, we are coming. I believe we are on the path through a wilderness to confront Baal in this country and in the world and in the church as, as just as much as they were then. And God is, I believe the blueprint and the subsequent prophecies are just as much our path through the wilderness as they had a, as the pillar in the cloud led, led them through the wilderness. Let me say it that way. Now, on that path, he has talked about fasting many times. And this is our fasting season. And I'm going to suggest, <laughs> do some. <laughs> I'm also going to suggest, you might want to consider a plan. Because I've already found out, like you've already found out, what happens if you don't plan. Fasting just doesn't happen. So, oh, I forgot to eat lunch. I'll count that as fasting. No, that's not. I, I, do, I know now. I know how. I know how to know when I'm doing it right. When it really hurts. When it's painful, and my emotions are going nuts. At least in the beginning. You're doing fasting correctly. I remember Pastor Dave, he said he had gone through one long, his first long, longer fast. And then he, he had decided, or not, maybe the Lord told him. Anyway, he was going to start his second longest fast. And I love what Rosalie said. She said, now this is our beloved pastor who we, so gentle, we always say, just poke Dave anywhere with a stick and love will come out, you know. But in the beginning, when Rosalie found out that he was going to do his second longer fast, she said, oh, really? Is it possible you could do that longer fast somewhere else? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that means there was a purging even for him, too. There was a purging involved. Now, I've taken a couple of excerpts. This isn't going to take long. Uh, one... One of these is from the scourging post, and one of them is from Overcomers in This Age, and that's two of the face-to-face documents that's at the website. I'm, I'm not going to go through that. I think nearly everybody's familiar with that. But I'm going to put you in remembrance of the things that he taught me about fasting that I did not know. Yes, sir. And there's a verse that says, He that doeth the will of God will know if the doctrine is true. There's some things you're never going to know are true until you do it. You can read it till your eyes fall out. And you think you got it, but you're not going to really know it until you do it. And I found out how true these words are now that I have gotten more serious about the fasting. So I'm, here, here's a, uh, a short excerpt from the scourging post. And the Holy Spirit's talking to Gary. He may be talking to you. You listen and see. He says, you have asked for the Lamb's perfect will for your life. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have prayed that prayer. He said, the perfect will of God is represented by the words of Christ when he said, take up your cross and follow me. 
you have asked to know what your cross is, that you may bear it. Understand that on the path to that cross, you first come to the scourging post. Now, Gary talking for just a moment. He is talking about fasting, and later on in that document, he plainly says, the scourging post is a type and a shadow of fasting. It's something that, anyway, you could read the whole document. He makes it real clear. Now, notice this. We were talking about obedience a week or two ago and how important that it is that we surrender our will to His will. Remember the centurion where His will was completely submitted to Rome? When instructions came down from Rome, He didn't compare it with His own will. He didn't say whether I approve of that or I don't approve of that. Whatever Rome said, that's what He did. And that's what made Him a man under authority. But because He was under authority like that, when he spoke, he had authority. All the power of Rome would back up everything he said. Well, he understood Jesus was sold out the same way to God the Father. And Jesus said, I, I, I don't even consider my own will. Whatever the Father says, that's what I do. So he understood that Jesus was sold out to the Father the same way he was sold out to Rome. He says, so I know whenever you speak, all the power of God will back up every word you say. That has not been the case always in Gary's life. I didn't do the fasting at first. Why? It wasn't my will. And just by the way, he'll never force you. Forcing you to fast would defeat the purpose of fasting. Because the idea is for you to surrender your will whether it hurts or not. For him to force you to do it would defeat the whole purpose. Because you're not surrendering your will. You're being forced. Okay. Understand that on the I'm reading the doc, reading from the scourging post again. Understand that on the path to that cross, you must come to the scourging post. Now listen to this. The scourging post is where all those things of the flesh must die before you shall be able to take up your cross. Now listen to this. The scourging post is where man's aspirations die. Man's a, that's your plan for your life. That's your will for your life. That's in the early days, Alan would say, that was my, I've been groomed to be a mega pastor of a mega church with a mighty ministry. And see, all of that dies. Fasting, he's saying, fasting will help kill that. I'm reading from it again. The scourging post is where weakness of the flesh is purged. Now this is this one. The scourging post is where your will dies completely and his will becomes yours. I have some fasting confessions that I do. I think I printed one out. The very first one on there. Hang on. I thought I brought one with me. Anyway, I know the first one on there. Oh, here it is. And this is from Matthew 9.15. When fasting gets tough and everything in me wants to quit, I get out these confessions. First thing I have to understand, fasting is my Lord's will for me, His disciple. And that's from Matthew 9.15. In those days when the bridegroom has been taken away, my disciples shall 
fast. From that, I wrote, Fasting is my Lord's will for me, His disciple. I'm going to say it another way. Jesus, in the same way you like it when I pray, you like it when I fast. The scourge, I'm going to read that one again. The scourging post is where your will dies completely and his will becomes yours. Gary, why didn't you do that fasting plan when he first told you? Wasn't my will. I don't like fasting. There's got to be another way. Yeah, there's got to be another way. Why do people fall out of prayer? I don't want to do what he told me. And every time you pray, it comes right up in your face again. And eventually you quit if you don't obey it. And there's something in us that thinks, if well, if I don't pray for a week, a month, a few months, he'll forget about it. You, and you'll find out, just like I have, and I hear people chuckling that know exactly what I'm saying. As soon as you start back, it won't be very long. I mean, it won't be very long. And that same thing is going to come right back up in your face again. Because he doesn't forget and he doesn't change his mind. I want to read it one more time. This is so important that I didn't. Now I'm going to substitute fasting instead of the scourging post. Fasting is where your will dies completely. See, your flesh, you do understand this. Your flesh does not believe in it. Your flesh will never agree with fasting. Your, it will never be your flesh's will to fast. So the flesh's will has to die for you to do it. You, you're going, no, flesh, his will be done. And you're back to my confession. It is my Lord's will for me that I, that I fast because I am his disciple. Hmm. The last one in this section, the scourging post or fasting is where what is known as man Quote, I could say natural man, must bow the knee so those things of the flesh may be exposed by the lash of the Spirit to be purged by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm not even smart enough to write that sentence. Then he says, there is no, there is no avoiding the scourging post. I'm going to say it another way. There is no avoiding fasting. For those who would truly take up the cross assigned to them by the Lamb, there is no avoiding it. Holy Spirit says, I bring you the mind of Christ. So this day, the Son, capital S, is asking you, not commanding you. Will you, Gary, he didn't say Gary, but it's, will you, you can put your name in there. Will you of your own free choice? Embrace the scourging post, will you? I'll just go on there. Say I, that's all I copied. But he goes on to say, now if you choose no today, your hunger will bring you back to this place again. And if you say no, then your hunger eventually will bring you back again. But there is no avoiding fasting. From overcomers in this age, which is also talking on the same subject. 
he says, For there was nothing in the nature of Christ that needed purging through suffering in the flesh. He did not choose to remain at the scourging post for that purpose. Satan had nothing in him, says the Spirit of grace. He remained at the scourging post. Or we could say, we remain in fasting. (laughs) But I want to stay with him right now. He remained at the scourging post because it was the will of his Father that his body be broken for the healing of the divisions and strife of men. In substitution, he bore their brokenness in his own body at the scourging post. That though the blood shed there, that, or excuse me, that through the blood shed there, all men could be healed and made one again by the Spirit of the living God, as the very life of God is recreated in them. I say again, it was not to be purged that he remained at the scourging post. Get this sentence. No. It was his nature and his character in full manifestation to the degree that he remained to suffer in the flesh because it was the will of the Father. It was a portion of the Father's plan for his life. His nature and character were such that suffering in the flesh could not deter him from obeying the will of the Father. That life, that nature, that character in him caused him to be obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. Know and understand that the purpose of you embracing the scourging post, and I'm going to say fasting, is twofold. Of secondary importance is the purging of those things which you would call sins of the flesh. Now get this though. Of primary importance. Now what he means is when we fast. Of primary importance is the development of the nature and character of Christ within you. That his life come forward to full harvest. That you be willing to suffer in the flesh if needs be. That the will of the Father be accomplished in the earth. By reason of use, by practice, by experience. The nature and character of Christ is brought forward in stages. To become progressively more powerful. To overcome all that is not the will of the Father in your life. Hear the wisdom of God. Now this is my comment at the end. God will never force you to fast. Because that would defeat the major reason for fasting. Fasting is never the natural man's will. To fast, you, the real you, must make the natural man, the flesh, Bow its knee to the will of God. You want to hear the rest of my confessions? There's not very many. Somebody go start my car. I'm going to make a quick exit. Alan told me I was going to have to teach on fasting. Now, you could, this is probably going to grow, but I've written these as I've been doing it, make, as I understand more. So the very first one is, fasting is my Lord's will for me, his disciple. When it gets tough, I have to go back to Matthew 9, verse 15, and remember again, I'm doing this because it's his will for me. I love you, Jesus. I want your will done in my life. I want God's kingdom to come and his will be done on the earth. And you told me that fasting is a part of it, so I'm, I don't like this. It hurts. I'm hungry. I'm snippy at people. <laughs> But Lord, fasting is your will for me. You said, 
During this time when you're not on the earth, my disciples shall fast. And I am your disciple. And I'll fast, body, you like it or not. Just shut up. Number two. Fasting prepares me, Gary, to bear my cross. Which is to walk in manifested glory, or I could have said to do my part in the revival. Fasting brings my will, my emotions, and my core motivations into alignment with Christ. Well, we just read that. It's part of the character development. Fasting reminds me, boy, does it ever. (laughs) Fasting reminds me that I am willing to suffer pain in order that the Father's will be done on earth. And it does not matter what my body, my emotions, or my ego suffers. I am willing to endure pain and suffering for the kingdom of God. Fasting is part of the Christian soldier's boot camp. You can see, you can, you can, you can have a, a, you can start a war on purpose with your emotions. Just fast. And it prepares you for when you're out there and they're threatening to kill you. You reject Jesus or we're going to cut your head off. Well, let's get our emotions battle ready first. Let's go to boot camp with fasting. Get dominion over our emotions. Fasting helps me to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This is from Paul, this one. Fasting is one method of keeping my body under so that I'd never become a reprobate and castaway. Last one. Fasting enforces, the, of course this is from Dave. Fasting enforces the positional truth of the death of the body. Body I mainly get these out when I'm really hungry. Which is maybe, what, an hour after you start? No, I'm teasing. My, my youngest daughter from Montana, she was, the other day, she was starting a fast, you know. She says, you know, a lot of days, I get so busy, I don't even think about breakfast. You know, first time I eat is lunch, because I just, so, I never even think about it at all. But I decided I was going to fast. My body said it was going to kill me if I didn't have breakfast. <laughs> Emotions, I mean, just, you know, because you're doing it for that purpose. It's amazing. Fasting enforces the positional truth of the death of the body. Body, you do not rule over me. Body, you serve me as I serve the Lord. Now, we're, we're going to get to the place, and I mean quickly, where we're going to remove every idol out of the temple. And I don't just mean sin idols. I mean sickness idols, pain idols, anything that God would not approve in there. We're going to run it off. But on that path, there is no avoiding fasting. And he has included it in our blueprint. We might as well be about our Father's business. Amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many is ready for the buffet now? I told Pastor Bronk the other day, he had one of his messages, I said, man, that's so good. I said, you ever been at the buffet? And, and you know you've eaten enough, but that chicken was just so good, you had to go back and get one more piece of that chicken. I said, I said man, that message you did was so good, i got to go back for a second helping. <laughs> Praise God. 
Y'all ought to be listening now, if you can, to all of the Pastor Bronx and Jim. I listen to all of them, Pastor Bronx and Jim and Alan Taylor and uh, Hans. And anyway, you know, let me see if he's through. Yes, for your coming in today's that have not really been seen in this generation. For the enemy has raised up in his arsenal things that have brought down civilizations in the past. Things not seen by this generation and neither by my church. And for this reason, you must stay very close to my spirit as they did with the cloud by day and the fire by night. Stay very close to my spirit. For I have a path for each and every one of you through the wilderness. And yours, you'll have individual things as I move the entire body into revival. But know this, know this, I am the Lord. And this generation will know, like Egypt learned, I am the Lord. And I will have no gods before me. I will certainly have no idols in my temple, says the Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. 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 You are my hope in the earth, and I do not have a plan B. You are my hope in the earth. I am trusting you. To hear and obey me. And I say, you will do it. I believe in you, says the Lord. I believe in you, says the Lord. You will obey me. Hmm. Hallelujah.